0: hey welcome back to the gospel rant this is dr bill sinyard we're on our trek through romans Unpacking Paul's microaggressors—that's a phrase that's used by young adults today to, uh, to to identify those things, those things that are said, those words that that make that take me back, that make me feel bad, that make me feel like I'm not in a safe place, and uh, I want to avoid. I want to save myself from microaggressors, but. The Book of Romans is loaded with microaggressors that don't feel comfortable, and we're going to cover one of them today. All right, so welcome back to my fellow offended, woke Christians. Honestly, we should be offended. I think part of modern Christianity's problem is we've we've watered this down, and I think young adults are going, yeah, what about? And we don't have a good answer for that. We're still trying to protect it. So we should be humbled. Because in spite of all of the diatribes that we have been immersed in, uh, Kool-Aid that we've been drinking from, really, enlightenment thinking and secular humanism in our education, society, and media, uh, truthfully, we, we weren't good when God found us. We weren't seeking God when God found us. We didn't get it when God found us. Our wills, man, we hate to admit it, but our wills were just not as free as we would like to believe, as we were told from Sesame Street on. See, God is more willing, and this is my this is an offender as well. He's more willing to do whatever it takes to make us feel loved, even sometimes not asking us if we're okay with it. And thank God, but it's a very different picture. Then the usual story, you know, I was lost. I was struggling with addictions and, and drug abuse and adultery. And God sent someone who explained it all to me. And I finally saw the validity. I saw where I was doing myself harm. And then I saw that, nope, it's God that I've been looking for. Uh, and so I choose to believe and boom, I'm saved. Mm, not so much. <laughs> Let me explain. We're looking at Paul's spiritually woke point of view in Romans, and we're we're willing to admit that it's offensive to we modern Christians, and it's offensive to anybody, but I think in modern secular humanistic Christianityism, it's even more offensive, and frankly, it's just humiliating. In Romans 4, where we pick it up from the last podcast, Paul takes us back to Abraham. Uh, Good place to start. And you know what? I'm warning you ahead of time. You might just be offended here. If that's a problem, you may want to check out uh, something else. So Romans four one to three, what then shall we say that Abram, Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, right? Justified meaning saved, converted, born again. But Paul writes, not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, quoting chapter 15 of Genesis. So I remember Sunday school. I'm a little old, but I remember God looks around the nations, right? This is after the flood and the scattering and finds one man of all the pagans who was godly and righteous. He, uh, uh, who was seeking God, who was seeking Yahweh, who would, who would be willing to hear and bow to Yahweh, Abraham or Abram. And, and it's implied that he must have been a worshiper of a single deity or was willing to shift if a better offer came along. Uh, so he was a pre-believer believer or a pre-Jew Jew, a pre-circumcised circumcised. Or maybe the way to see him, if we're sloppy in Sunday school, was, was that You know, he wasn't a Yahwehist, but he was a good man in his culture and his context. He was righteous in his dealings, beloved by his neighbors, you know, something like that. He wasn't a politician. Okay, too soon. Uh, We have to explain what God saw in him that differentiated him from the million of other pagans of his day, right? I mean, we've got to understand why him. Maybe he was running for man of the year in Haran. Maybe We just need to justify why Abraham, uh, not Bob or Esmeralda, was picked to father God's kids. We just have to, right? I want to know. But Paul has just told us that there may not be a good reason because no one seeks God. And that includes Abraham. So Abraham wasn't a Yahweh seeker. Was he a good man? Well, you know, later we'll find out that he pimps out his wife twice to uh, pagan leaders, a tad on the insensitive side, to be sure, right? I mean, very low on the EQ scale. Uh, he, and, and by the way, he had sex with a concubine, and then, then he tossed her out into the desert to die, right? I mean, okay. So what are we to think? Well, that's just his context. All men were dinosaurs back then. But relatively speaking to everybody else, he was good. I mean, everybody else was worse. And God saw the potential. Uh, he did enough good things to earn a closer look by God, right? God has a resume and going, well, there's some things here that are, are that, that, that are positive. And so God gives him a conditional trial. Let's just see if he obeys. And then we can take the next step, right? And so getting him to pack up and move the family is the ancient equivalent of speed dating, And then Abram pulls that one off. And so based upon a successful trial, God hires him, uh, 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 marries him, and credits it to him as righteousness, which, you know, we often teach it as the ancient equivalent of a positive performance review that leads to a promotion, right? So now you go from probationary righteousness to full-bore righteousness. Well, no. No, no, none of that's None of that's in the text, right? And because then, if if this was true, Abraham and all after him would just understand that relationship with God is earned. So you start with potential, you move to probation, there's a trial, you work up to faithful, after you show you the capacity and enough faith, whatever whatever we think we mean by that, and then you're in and you can look out on the Audis and say, this was my work, I did it, I pulled it off. And if you want this, you have to work really hard and do as well as I did. And, and then he writes a few books. And I have to say... Looking around modern Christianity, this is the implicit statement foundational to so much of it, related to conversion, to justification, right? Um, so God finds us well-meaning failures, people of our context. We're not the worst around, but we're not the best. We're confused, really, because of our environment. Uh, we weren't born that way because we have good hearts, The secular humanism tells us. And so God finds us. We've got some potential, Put us on probation. Some of us go further because we have more faith. We climb the righteousness ladder until God's smile finally hits our face and we know we're there. And we're the truly reformed. We're the truly righteous. Right? Oh, man. That's just all wrong. Modern, deistic, secular, humanistic spiritual formation is all about that. We, we describe it as, so discipleship, spiritual formation is all about becoming more like Christ. But that's an accepted truism that has zero biblical basis whatsoever. Somebody point that out to me. It certainly doesn't fit with how God deals with Abram. Are you ready to be shocked? Right. Let's see in the end of this who has bragging rights. And Paul says, I'm telling you up front, uh, Abram doesn't. All right, Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, right, after all of this, as the Lord had told him, right, and Lot went with him. See, Lot had as much faith as Abram and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran all right i love the passage it's very thin uh, only the important stuff that's here but this is important i mean in the previous chapter chapter 11 we we hear a little bit more about Abram uh it's he's a descendant of Shem that's not so helpful his family hailed from Ur the Chaldees. that's not very helpful but his father moved the family to Haran. That's not helpful either. He married Sarai. We don't know much about her. That's it. That's the bio. So is he righteous? Is he pursuing righteousness? Is he pursuing Yahweh? Is he a good guy, a good citizen, a believer? We don't know. Nothing of note. And certainly, the author of Genesis would have spelled some of this out if it was pertinent to what God is going to do. right? Abram could have a, a, a felony record. I'm, I'm just... I just don't know. We don't know. Uh, Maybe he lied as a child. We don't know, but there's no reason to believe he was perfect. But Abram is very important to the entire biblical story and, and to the Jews and to the Christians. He's an icon for the Jews and for Christians. This is critical. His relationship with God is absolutely foundational and critical for the Jews and us to understand. He was the biblical model of how humanity can begin to recover the relationship we had in Eden. So we've got to get this right and we have to be really careful how we unpack this. So let's start at the beginning. God speaks to Abram, gives him a command and in addition to that, a shocking over the top blessing. And these two are not tied together in the text. There's, they are not conditional. Though honestly, that's how we attempt to read the story and teach this. And now it sounds something like this. So Abram, if you obey me and do this traveling, I'll tell you where, but if you that and continue to be faithful, right, there's a there's a point, and I'm gonna bless you with all these things. And this covenant kicks in. Alright, that makes a lot of sense to me, frankly. Right? I, I get that, but it's not there. It's not there in the English, it's not there in the Hebrew. Nada. And so the, the story is very stark. God bumps into Abram and takes on a role that, you know, Abram would understand. He becomes, he assumes the position of Abram's sovereign. He acts as if he was Abram's undeniable boss, king, deity, sovereign. He assumes total authority. Well, that's a microaggressor. He doesn't ask, please. He doesn't explain himself. He doesn't introduce himself, at least not in the text. He doesn't give Abram a choice. I mean, really, doesn't that just tick you off? What about Abram's free will? Uh, what, what about Abram refusing? Well, we don't want to hear it, but, uh, you know, me I, I've been thinking about it, and I'm thinking, well, there's likely two choices, right? If Abram refused, which I don't think he could have or would have, if he refused, first, first was God would punish him. And as bad as that is, uh, right? we influenced by secular humanism would so much prefer that one to the second option. (laughs) The second option is that God's not only going to order Abraham to obey, but he's going to change Abraham's brain and give him motivation to obey. And, you know, we enlightened, woke people think that's even worse. I'm just saying, which of those two do you prefer? Or do you see a third? I mean, has your head exploded yet? I can't hear through the microphone. But no matter. Abram obeyed. So we don't have to go that direction. I'm just saying. but And for some unknown, unspecified reason, he obeys. All right. So nevertheless, God unilaterally blesses. Whether he obeys or not, it didn't matter. God's uh, blessing, covenant to Abram happened before one step was taken from Haran, before one bag was packed, before an explanation to Sarai, uh, long before Abram obeyed and finished the journey. Again, we often teach it that God responded to Abram's faithfulness, but that's not the order. God gave, before Abram's faithfulness was on display, God gave what would appear to be a royal covenant or blessing. We have some uh, evidence of that in, in the ancient time, in ancient day to day practice, it's typically what a sovereign king, an emperor, let's say, might give to a vassal king, a regional king who did something heroic, was strikingly faithful, and showed loyalty above and beyond the norm. Right? And, and it, would, it would make this blessing, it would be a generational blessing. It would mean that the king and the, the sovereign and the vassal king were good, they were now family. Almost an adoption, but not in this case, because Abraham, for this, Abram got that covenant before he did anything. Nothing above the norm. He was just sitting there in his easy chair, and God said, I'm giving this to you. It amounts to covenant blessings with vast consequences. We, we know some of them, Maybe the rest of the Bible comes out from this. God underwrites. Making Abram a person of huge social weight and value. Lands, kings, inheritance, family, sh- all shocking and wonderful. Listen, Jesus will share Abram's DNA. This is, this is huge. And Abram hasn't done a thing yet. Curious, right? So, if I was Abram's neighbor, I'm thinking, Okay, Yahweh, why this guy? I paid my union dues. I go to marriage counseling to be a better spouse. Does it, doesn't that count for anything? And by the way, if I'm a later Jew, same thing. And, and the truth of the matter is God's motivation isn't really clear. And, and if Abraham is an icon of Jewish faith and his conversion is an icon of how Jews can become Jews, how to get such a blessed relation with Yahweh, so far we've learned nothing. It appears God finds Abram. God gives him a unilateral covenant. Whether or not Abram was good, righteous, successful, circumcised, it's all unilateral. So, to be clear again, and I get it, this is massively a microaggressor. What about sensitivity of God to what Abram wants? If God loves Abram, why didn't he care what Abram's feeling right now? What about Abram's free will? God doesn't ask, it's not in the text. God doesn't give Abram a choice, it's not recorded. He conscripts Abram. He makes Abram a Yahweh person, a Yahweh spokesperson, a Yahweh icon for generations to come with zero approval or acceptance from Abram. We get that? Look, I'm old enough to remember the Vietnam draft. If you're of age in the 60s and early 70s, you could be drafted to go to Vietnam. Uh, It was forced, and no one asked your permission, or if you were okay with it, or what you felt about it. And there was consequences if you turned it down. Remember in 1968, so many in Chicago pushed back, arguing that, no, they didn't want to go. And they they had the choice. They had the free will. Nobody can make them, right? Well, that makes sense to us today. But Abram didn't get that choice, did he? What was being modeled by God to the Jews and to Christians? And again, uh, let, let's think about that precedent. It seems, uh, let me summarize where we are now. This is how Abram did it. This is how Abram got into a relationship with God. He was doing his Haran-Sarai thing and, and goats and, and sheep, real life. Then God comes upon him, gives him an outlandish command without asking his opinion or preference. And then he makes him identify with Yahweh alone, right? nor the deities. Even though he hadn't fully explored all the options, he hadn't asked questions or got any answers. For that matter, uh, there's no sense that God gave Abram the opportunity to clarify some things. So God, with all due respect, butted in without permission, without invitation, and completely changes Abram's life by stepping all over Abram's free wills and, and internal motivation. Abram's dreams and longings. That's how God... Does this thing? So let's rejoice. <laughs> you see how this this cuts across the grain of modern Christianityism, right? Some teachers opine that well, here's how we explain it uh, without our heads exploding. God knew ahead of time what Abram would eventually say and and did that, right? His his foreknowledge. Well, that still doesn't help, does it? Remember. Abram is an icon of how we are to be associated with God. What's the path? So if I was drafted for Vietnam and the government said, well, we just knew that you, once you were there, looking back, you would find you would want to be there and we acted accordingly. Well, no, that's still offensive to me. How dare you assume, even if you're right, what choice I would have before I make it? I'm not a puppet. I have free will. It's my choice. Am I right? But not Abram. Just saying. Well, we should be offended. I think this is offensive. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. And often he comes across to us because it's so mysterious. He comes across as a wild card. And if this is the icon of conversion, how one becomes a Christian or a Jew, who in the West would ever embrace it? We would never tell people this, right? But this is Paul's argument. It is what it is. I mean, it seems like it's the death knell for free will. But remember, from previous podcast, this is ridiculous good news. Once we think about it, because my midbrain and your midbrain, uh, apologies, is so messed up, so traumatized, so deceived and distracted by that nasty critical inner voice, that our brains would never choose a God who would ever do things like to to me, like he did with Abram or or Job or Jesus, and that's why that's why we love boundary books right why boundary books are almost always bestsellers and maybe Abram could have used one so back to the path of salvation is modeled by Abram Yahweh and Abram Abram did zero to earn it at least that we read about he doesn't pursue Yahweh he doesn't pursue a relationship with God so Paul and the Psalms say there is no evidence of him prostrate on the ground praying Yahweh save me order me and I will obey not a And long before he took his first baby step in obedience, God had already given the gave him the entire shooting match. So much for a deal maker, so much for leverage. (laughs) He adopts Abram as a full card carrying son of God forever. He made Abram right, right? Righteous, righteousness with him. In the Hebrew, he reckoned Abram as righteous. So now he and Abram are good forever and ever and ever. And notice that in the covenant promise, still these are not conditional. Abram can't mess them up either. The blessing is the blessing forever. And this is good news because we know a great deal about Abram, more than we know uh, about just about any other biblical character. He's far from perfect. Uh, there are times that he just absolutely goes selfish and doesn't care for others. He's, you know He has moments, right? But hardly an example of what later Jews could say, you know what? I know how we get God's favor. Let's all do what Abram would do, right? Wear rubber band, wrist things, WWAD. What would Abram do? No, So, but let's not bury the headline. The headline is that God took over Abram's life and future. Not for curse, but for good things. But without Abram's permission. He pursues him, grabs him, commands him around, and then blesses the bediddle out of him more than any other person, human being, uh, uh, at least of his age, had ever been blessed, all before Abram had any uh, any uh, action that would, would be considered righteous, long before Abram exercised faith. So that's in Genesis 15, 6, when we finally see that Abram experienced faith. Could be months, could be years after this covenant, after the, the trip, after the adoption, the alignment, the marriage. Abram finally experiences faith. Genesis 15:6. Abram believed God, there it is, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Cryptic verse, to be sure. I'm going to suggest that, among other things, it means that finally God gave Abraham spiritually birth, heavenly birth faith that he didn't have on his own, right? No muscle group, so that he would finally chill and begin to actually start enjoying the relationship with God, the, the covenant, among other things. Stop thinking that he was on probation and had to keep proving himself and keep score of the good versus the bad and doubting himself and the shame. You know, faith is faith that comes from the spirit, a spiritual fruit. So here's the way that God did Abram and go and do it likewise. <laughs> God pursued, God found, God ordered, God blessed. God adopted permanently and underwrote the everlasting nature of his favor and devotion and love without any conditions that would ever cause a breach, meaning God would always love and adore Abram, even when he treated Sarah and others so badly, when he doubted God's favor, when he made bad business decisions, God and he would be good. God and he are righteous together. Right? So go and do that. (laughs) God had so much more in store for him more than he could ever imagine, generations after his earthly life was over. And it didn't have a thing to do with Abram's rightness. God gives him the power and the grace to actually begin to enjoy the gig. And so Abram can finally say, hey, I'm beginning to get it. This is so much better than I thought. I believe that God actually favors me, loves me, pursues me, and will never drop me. That's faith. That's the fruit of faith. So, That's the point Paul is making. Paul rightly says that Abram gets zero credit. Abram is not up in heaven right now holding classes on how to be saved. (laughs) It was done to him. And he's so happy that it happened because he gets it now that he would never have pursued that. He couldn't have imagined it. He would have put up boundaries eventually. But he can't boast of understanding. He can't boast of first pursuing Yahweh. He could write books on boundaries, all right, But he could not write a book on how to pursue God. And by the way, a marriage book would not seem appropriate either. Well, I couldn't write a book about pursuing God either. I can probably write a book on boundaries. And if you're a Christian, same with you. But honestly, my enlightened secular human brain is still offended when I read how Yahweh treated Abram. I mean, without all of the, the whitewashing. I'm troubled by it. And I still want to scream, what about my free will? that it appears that God stomped all over when I was 21. Uh, Yeah, but I can deal with it because I can see a little bit what God was doing, and I can definitely see that I was not pursuing God. I was so far from God. I was so unwilling, so unable to look up, that he had to make me. Technically speaking, he forced me. There's another Old Testament passage, which is equally as offensive, is he gave me a new heart. He just did. He didn't, you know, I, I didn't investigate the, the surgeon, uh, you know, see where the surgeon graduated. I, I didn't check with my insurance to see what, what, what coverage I had. I didn't get a second opinion whether I needed a new heart or just needed this one clean. I didn't talk about rehab because he knew I was in denial. The operation was forced on me and my will wasn't free. And it was a life and death thing. So he loved me so much before I knew it, long before I felt any love for him, he gave me a new heart. And I'm so grateful now. And, and I only know a fraction of the eternal benefits. So let me summarize by saying that what happened to Abram is the very same thing that happened to you. If you're offended, deal with it um, one way or another dance because it's the most amazing thing and abram would tell you that if he could talk to you and if you still struggle if your midbrain is going wait about what about my free will this seems so oppressive (laughs) so fascist this would be a good time for you to do the dance we designed it for people just like you and me there are seven very powerful online interactive mini gospel presentations to, to Abrams of the world to f- begin to feel the love of God sooner rather than later. And that is the point of the covenant, so that Abram would begin to actually feel God's favor. And YouTube, Check it out, www.the-dance.org. You won't regret it. All right, that's enough for now. I hear heads exploding all over the country. We will see you next time on The Gospel Rant. at abide.com.